This podcast episode shares some of Reese's recovery journey and experience with mental health, including discussion of topics of depression, anxiety, and suicide ideation. Discussion of these topics may bring up strong emotions, thoughts, or memories for some listeners. If this is the case for you, you may want to have someone listen with you or talk afterwards with a family member, friend, support person, or your GP. See recommended support services in the show notes. Do you know a young person who's having a hard time with their mental health? Maybe your son or daughter, a sibling, a mate. You want to support them, but you don't quite know what to say or what not to say. Truth is, you have a significant role to play as part of their support crew, but it can be tricky territory for both of you. That's where we come in. This podcast is full of the conversations you may want to have, but don't know how. Young people, mental health workers and clinicians share their stories, insights and experiences to help you support the young people in your world. You'll probably learn a thing or two about taking care of your own mental health along the way. Sometimes it's worth celebrating the simple fact we made it to here. Together, let's work out how we're going to get there. My name's Reese. I'm 25 um, and I am currently studying uh, mental health peer work, Cert 4, and um, I finish in a few weeks. Hello, my name's Michelle. I'm Reese's mum. I work as an EN for a GP clinic. You're about to hear Reese and Michelle share the story of Reese's journey with anxiety, depression, and suicide ideation, and how Michelle helped Reese to navigate the process of accessing help through Headspace. We'll also hear what both of them learned in the process and what it's done for their relationship. When was the, the earliest you can remember having a bit of a tough time with your mental health, whatever that looked like or however you remember that kind of starting? Where does that journey kind of go back in your mind? It sort of started in high school, I guess, but I wasn't really aware that it was sort of not normal to have like not bad thoughts but sort of just like feel like that like my my anxiety I wouldn't stand in lines because like there were too many people I'm like what are they looking at me like they're just ordering food but I'm like they're they're looking at me like anything like that and um and then with that came, uh, came depression in my mind like there was nothing really to I couldn't pick out anything to be upset about or sad about or anything when I when I graduated uh, high school in 2013, I just sort of didn't have a job, didn't really have anything to do. I would just stay with my cousin a lot and everything. Like it was, it was really fun. But then um, in 2017, I got my first job um, when I was 21 and that was a bit of an insecurity. So then the anxiety sort of flared up around that. And in that job, it was hospitality and that's never really a good industry to be in for someone who has anxiety was just sort of sensitive it was quite a traumatizing time like that sort of intensified the depression because I was like what am I doing wrong um everyone around me has jobs why can't I get one why don't I have one when I'm 21 like it's embarrassing and then the trigger warning um suicidal ideation came around with employment and other things too it got a lot and I started to talk to my cousin and a few other people and they were like, 
uh, you need to get, you need to talk to someone, I think. And I was like, no, no, psychologists and counsellors and things like, it's not for me. Like I'm, I'm not as bad as some people mental health wise. And I think it was my cousin uh, reassured me that it wasn't, it's not as bad as people think, um, especially me. So I came here and I didn't have my license at the time. So I got mum here to um, come here to Headspace. And um, after a few months, they called me and set me up with a psychologist. And through that psychologist, um, I also got linked to another service here that they do um, called IPS. And I got linked with a vocational specialist and I worked with her from 2018 until uh, twen- until this year, 2021. Yeah, cool. It sounds like listening to the particularly the beginning of what you said, it's like there was stuff that you now look back at and you understand you have some language for what was happening, but at the time you didn't really realise and even until you kind of got that support, you know, you didn't necessarily think that you were the kind of person that matched up with what you had in your mind around that. Um, but it's cool to hear that now you've got a bit more understanding and kind of a, some of the words to put around your experiences as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even reflecting on like back right what I used to be, it's very like, whoa. Yeah. I've changed a lot. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. So, Michelle, when Reese was in high school, were there things that you remember noticing kind of changes in, yeah, how Reese was or anything that you remember of those kind of early parts of that journey? Uh, definitely. Um, Reese. Um, when he left primary school, really struggled. In high school, he was bullied. He was, um, there's a lot of aspects of Reese's life that I was in denial. It took me a long time to come around to, I've never been ashamed of him or, um, no, never. In that time frame when he became, he was talking of suicide, I became, thought there's something we need to to do so I spoke with a colleague at work and she told me about Headspace I spoke to Reese about it and we came down here and met Sue personally I think I may have been holding Reese back um, I should have done a lot more I feel um, to help him right from the beginning but as I say there's other as- aspects of Reese's life but his anxiety he did struggle to try and get a job and to keep a job and I really, yeah, realised me holding him back didn't do him any justice. You know, maybe, as I said, I was in denial of a lot of things. And But when he said that to me, it sort of brought home the fact of all I'd learnt through my education. I'm thinking this is close to home now. I've got to really listen instead of listening to other people and their problems. You know, this is right on my doorstep the change in him to what he, the person he was to who he is now. He's much more confident in himself. I think this headspace has done him the best in the world. I'm glad I I got him down here when I did because we don't know what would have happened. If you kind of go back, both of you, I guess, to that, the conversation around maybe coming to Headspace or getting support or needing to do something, how did that start 
like was that a conversation that was initiated by you, Michelle? Did you at the time were you able to to talk to your mum about how things were for you or do you remember kind of some of, you know, what it was like just talking about things at that time? I never really took anything seriously because like a lot of people I use humour to ask a lot of bad things. So I wasn't really taking anything seriously in the uh, sense of like just morbid stuff. I would joke about like medical problems and things. I remember one day mum, not in an angry way, but just like assertive. She was like, why you just don't um, take anything serious? And I was like, well, if I can't laugh about it, I'll just cry about it. And then upon reflection of that, I was like, oh, that's that's not a very good... Like I just sort of shocked myself after a little bit. Um, I realised what I said and I was like, that's actually sort of true. Yeah, so there are these moments like sometimes you say something and then it's like you hear it, you know, it came out of your mouth but then it's like you hear it and it's like actually that's saying something that maybe I need to pay attention to. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, cool. What about you, Michelle? How do you remember, you know, that um, actually broaching that conversation around getting some help, coming to see someone? What was that like from from your side? Um, well, I I I realised that he really did need help, and we just sat and spoke about it. And I said, I didn't give you much of a choice. I said, we go in headspace, and that's it. <laughs> and we came down, as I said, and um, it was only that that person I spoke to that I that I realised that there is um, help out there for him, that he needed somebody to speak to. And even speaking, as he said, speaking to other people, close friends and relatives wasn't what he needed. He needed to have somebody outside of the group to really give him the guidance that I think he needed. And I think it was good that the time that we did it was, yeah, I think he was ready for it. It would have been probably better had we started when he was younger, had I known. I'd known about Headspace but nothing to what it really was um, sure. and how how effective it was going to be because they do focus on them and let them uh, be who they want to be and mm. yeah, guide them. Yeah. I really appreciate that you – it's a hard thing to do but the, the way that you're speaking, you're sort of acknowledging um, – the changes that you made in some ways, the the journey that you had to go on, um, things that you might have done differently, you know, if you could go back. But um, I guess that's people only learn this stuff by going through it really. But that, what, can right. you can you describe some of the feelings you had maybe? Did you feel kind of out of your depth? Did you feel confused? Did you feel worried? What were some of the things that you can oh, remember definitely. feeling? When he mentioned um, suicide, um I can remember when I was about 10, my mother tried to commit suicide, his grandmother, and I know how it felt and I thought I don't want to go through that feeling um, that he, like, of losing him and I don't want him to ever feel he'd be that, have to get that to that level to. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. No, don't be sorry. But Thank he's, you for sharing um, that. He's that, that sort of was a wake-up call, like, okay, I've got to do something. He's, you know, he's, um, he's got to get through this and I'm not, I'm not going to be able to help him. Mm. Not, not, not that I can't help him but I can't, wouldn't be able to give him what he needed to, 
to get through this because I felt I was too close and, as I said, I was in denial of a lot of things because I was looking at, no, he's fine, he's, there's nothing wrong, he, he's just growing and he'll get over it. And then all of a sudden when that word was used, he said, he sort of said to me, oh, just if I commit suicide then nobody will care. Yeah. So I thought that's it, something has to be done. And what I'm hearing is that part of supporting someone is recognising where you need to call in or connect with other supports and that's a really good thing to be able to go, you know what, there's a, there's a, a point at which I can help but at this point we've got to pull in some extra support. One thing I'm wondering, Reese, you know, sometimes when we talk about anxiety, depression, um, you know, all kinds of mental, you know, health kind of challenges and conditions, those words, we can hear them a lot and they can kind of lose some of their meaning. So I love to ask people as much as they feel comfortable, you know, if you were describing it to me and I had no idea what those words meant, what are some of the things you can remember, either thoughts that you had in your mind or things that you felt in your body that could kind of, as much as you feel comfortable, kind of bring it a bit closer for me? Anxiety is very much the feeling of lockdown. Um, so when you go out to, I don't know, like go for a walk or something, you're like, I shouldn't be out here. I shouldn't be doing this. I should go back inside because you just feel wrong doing something that's normal. You know what's a normal thing to do to stand in line at a restaurant or go for a walk down the street or something, but then anxiety says, no, that's not normal because everyone will be looking at you but no one cares about you. Um, and then depression sort of lives with that because anxiety and depression sort of go hand in hand and depression is a bit more like um, just nothing matters. And it doesn't matter to you that nothing matters. When you did start to come into Headspace and get some, some support, how did you feel coming in and how was that experience, you know, chatting to somebody, tell me a little bit about it. A bit anxious at first because uh, I was like, who's going to, the anxiety came about and I was like, who's going to come out? Who's going to talk to me? Is it going to be a man or a woman? And it was basically walking into a new environment, feeling comfortable but feeling anxious about the people. Once I just sat down with the psychologist, um, I just let it all go. Um, I dumped all my emotions onto her, all my past experiences as much as I could in an hour, um, which was enough time for me. Um, yeah, it was just a very comforting environment the next time I came in. And Michelle, for you, you know, over the last few years, what has that process been like for you? What have you, um, I guess, how involved have you been or how much has there been kind of debriefing of that or has, you know, what's it just been like from a, the perspective of a parent? Um, I've kept out of most of it. I, I don't really know what happens. Like I know what happens here and it's just Reese coming back and just watching him, um, the way he's changed, how he's become confident and that he looks forward. He always, when he's had appointments, he was always made sure he, he got here on time and um, they're just a great support and he talks about the, the people that he sees and, and he's very quite close to them. 
So um, I think the journey for him has coming here has been really an eye-opener. And for me, I think they've done the best mm, job. Wonderful. And, and um, you kind of touched on it before but, you know, if you could go back um, to maybe when Reese was 17 or in high school, um, what would you do differently or what would you say either to that younger version of yourself or to other parents that may be in a similar situation to what you were in then? What would you say to them now? What would you do differently? Really listen to your children and really take in everything that they're saying to you and get, you know, find the resources to, to help your child definitely before you get to a spot, a point where you think, oh, this is all going downhill. Definitely. I would have, if I'd have realised, I should, and in myself, as I said, stop being in denial and um, move on and, and get your child some help. Yeah, definitely would have made a big difference to um, him probably getting a job earlier on and having more confidence in himself and, you know, and he would have had someone to talk to. But, yeah, don't, I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't have waited that long, definitely. Yeah. Anything else you've learnt along the way in terms of navigating that journey together, like um, within your relationship with each other, how you talk about mental health or how you just kind of – because there's – Headspace does an amazing job but then it's like you go back and you have to take care of your mental health and you have to live your life. No one can do that for you. So in your, you know, kind of relationship, is there anything else that you've learnt in terms of communicating with each other or just other kind of mental health tips that you would want to give to other parents and their young people so say if you go to a psychologist and you feel like you haven't done any work like you haven't built yourself up and then you're just sitting there with um just sort of this loathing of yourself um and you get an outside perspective of of someone and they're like no you have changed you're more talkative you're more confident you want to be around people more um, all this, that and the other, it's, it can be very reaffirming to listen to other people um, when they tell you how, how much you've changed. You can do a little bit of self-reflecting, um, which really helps a lot of the time as well, on how far you have come, even, even if it has taken a few years or a few months or anything. Um, it's nice to just acknowledge what you have done positively uh, with yourself and your mental health. Yeah, I feel Reese and I have become closer. Um, he's, yeah, he's he tells me, you know, talk, we used to talk and, but I still, I guess, motherly and still keeping my ears open because he's moved out with his, two, with his brother. He lives with his brother, a younger, his older brother. Um, and I still listen when we talk, I, I keep listening because I am a little bit concerned when he finishes here of what might happen. So I want to keep him close and make sure that his mental health is fine. He's got a really good doctor he sees as well. So, yeah. That's great. I really appreciate you both sharing so openly and um, it's lovely to sit with people's stories and, you know, I'm just swooping in at the end here where I can see the growth that has happened but I haven't been able to watch the whole thing but I can just see that you are confident and courageous and self-reflective and, and you too Michelle like there's obviously a sense in which you have um, 
really done the the thing that you would want any parent to do, which is that listening, responding, growing through it. So it's lovely to sit with both of you in that. What would be your, if you could just both um, think about a couple of sentences you would want to say to, um, maybe Reese, if you have something you'd want to say to other young people that are having a tough time with their mental health and maybe they don't know what's going on, maybe they don't think that they're the kind of people that would want to sit with a psychologist, what would you want to say? And then, Michelle, any final things you would want to say to the support network around a young person, whether that's their parent, uncle, auntie, um, you know, things that you'd want to say to them just to leave them with? Definitely if you don't feel right mentally, um, if you are feeling sad for no reason um, or you feel not right about just being who you are, um, definitely seek out a service like Headspace um, or just even talk to someone that that you trust. Um, It definitely helps to talk to someone who has been trained in that in that field and the sooner you the sooner you get that help the sooner you can get better um and just improve your mental health and definitely take those um skills and and attributes that you have or have learnt at headspace and take them with you in the rest of your life awesome i'd, I'd suggest Um, as I said before, listening to your children and if you feel out of your depth, maybe talk to somebody yourself, a teacher, um, someone at the school if your child's um, having problems. If you can't, you're not sure where to go and, um, yeah, and if you can't cope with it then you you, sometimes you've got to, you might have to go and find some help and talk to somebody yourself um, to help your own, your child to to develop and and find the help that they need as well. You know, stop and think what what needs to be done, definitely. Yeah. And just be there for them and be someone that they can trust as a parent. Yeah. And yeah. if you if you feel you can't, yeah, talk to someone about it. Yeah. What a powerful story of recovery and resilience through some serious challenges. To help us reflect a little deeper on the major themes of this story, I've asked two friends from Headspace to join me for a short roundtable chat. Hi, my name's Patrick Sharples. I'm clinical lead at Headspace. Hey, my name's Rani Gudeka. I'm a psychologist and I'm a clinical lead of the Complex Youth and Mental Health Case Management Program. I love music, I love being a dad and I love, um, I love my partner and I'm, uh, I love working in Headspace and working with young people. It's the best job in the world. Um, I'm a mum, I'm a partner, my friend. Um, I love to crochet, which is a bit funny. Um, I like to run, I play the piano and yeah, I love working with young people. Um, it's the best part of my day. Well, hello again, Pat and Rani. Thanks for joining me. We've just had a listen to Reese and Michelle's story, um, which again, I think it, it, there's so much gold in their story, in their relationship, in the, um, the path that they've walked and that they've shared with us. What were some of your first impressions after listening? Let's start with you, Pat. Again, that relationship that they have to be able to um, look back at this this story, this narrative up till now, um, not dismiss their emotions, still feel connected emotionally, 
and 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 be realistic about the future. The comment that Mum made it at the end. I, I'm scared. I'm scared. What's going to happen when Headspace can no longer be involved? So that honesty, <laughs> mm. again, all the things we look for as health mental health workers, their honesty, the reflection, the capacity to be able to be aware of thoughts, feelings, and behaviours. It was all there, and uh, such a such a really interesting conversation that Reese explained. I think really well that transition that a lot of young people struggle with after school, that meaning that uh, often that existential crisis of w- mm. what do I do now? What What's my purpose? Where do I live? What do I do for work? And, and I think captured that really, really well. Um, really interesting conversation. Yeah. What stood out to you, Rani? Um, I think how brave Michelle was in really opening up and sharing very publicly um, how – she struggled to um, take on board what was going on with Reese and uh, how challenging it was for her to accept and go on that journey of um, engaging with mental health services because as a parent you do feel, mm. you know, it's an automatic thought that you feel that you've done something wrong. What have I done? What have I done to my child? What mm. have I caused this? But it's not, um, it's not about the parent it's, it's our job to step aside and put the young person's needs first and I think that she did that really well but was really brave about talking about how she went through that journey. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. She she was um, really, really generous with her sharing of the things that she wished she could have done differently perhaps with, with her time over. Mm. Um, one of the things I did notice about what she shared was that when she got to this, I guess, moment of clarity around I need to help my young person, there was sort of a resolve around that. Mm. We're going to get you to headspace. But then, interestingly, I thought there was sort of this like um, I'm not going to be overly involved in that. I'm going to give some space around that. Mm. So, yeah, I guess I noticed the clarity around the moment where something was needed but then also the trust of the services and professionals in that space could you just unpack some of that a little bit more? Um, Rani, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, parents, you know, they need to know what their child needs and each young person will be different. And um, to know that the level of parental involvement in someone's care will change throughout their development. So where, when Reese came into Headspace, he was an older teen um, but for a younger person, they're going to need much more parental involvement in their mm. care. So allowing a young person space in their care is definitely important. But also knowing that for, um, you know, a 12-year-old to 15, 16, depending on even sometimes older than that, they don't have the agency mm. um, to implement the things that they need to um, in their life to help them along their journey. They need a parent to walk alongside them in that um, and to really be active in that. Um, And then some older young people also might want their parent or carer to be more involved. So just knowing where the young person is developmentally and what they need individually is important. Mm. And it was important for Reese that he had that space, Mm. but it might be equally important for other young people that they actually need you to step further into that with them. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, well, we'll because there is that balance that – depending on their age and their needs, that if you support them to link in but then step too far back, it sends the message, the unintended message that you go fix this problem. You know, you're the mm. problem. It's up to you now. And and even if that's not the intent and the message the parent wants to send, 
Whereas, as Ronnie's saying, there's plenty of young people that come through and depending on their age, the parent is very heavily involved, the appropriateness or the carer, because in a way they become the co-therapist in this process. They prompt the young person to practice some of the skills. They encourage them. Mm-hmm. They, they learn the psychoeducation as well as the young person. Um, but that was a really good pickup that you, that you noticed that, that there was that really nice balance I heard of mum saying, well, get you involved, LinkedIn, and I'm here if you need me. Mm. but this is your space now. Um, yeah. It sounds like Reese is more than capable to build that confidence and, you know, then he linked in with the employment agency as well as the, the psychotherapy, the, the counselling, and those things combined was enough for him. Other young people, they might need something different. Yeah, sure. The other thing I, I noticed in, in that dynamic was I guess some parents might feel a bit... Um, unsure about not having the expertise Mm. and and in a sense the parent never needs to become well they need to be what i'm hearing is they need to become the expert in caring for their child but they don't need to become a mental health expert as such so there's a difference in words so uh, i always say to young people and parents you're the expert well well said by the way you're the expert i have expertise but you're the expert so Mm. that's the difference we they don't need expertise that's what we're qualified to do that's what we can offer but at the end of the day, they're the experts of their life. Everyone's the expert of their life. And that's a basic principle of any any treatment is this idea that, you know, they know what's best um, and, and you've got to draw that out. So you're, you're absolutely right. You know, um, they have the ex, they're the experts. We have the expertise together. You know, we can, do, we can work this out. Yeah. Mm, good stuff. One of the other things that stood out to me in Reese's sharing was, I guess, other people – sort of saw the need for some help. I think he spoke about his cousin, maybe some friends saying, hey, it sounds like you could benefit from speaking to somebody about this. And and there was the kind of thought in Reese's mind, no, no, psychologists, counsellors, mental health services, that's for people with bigger problems than mine, mm. even though he was struggling with some really dark thoughts. Mm. Um, it'd be good, I think, to just spend a moment talking about this stigma that obviously still exists for young people. Um, what does that look like? How common is that? And maybe we could start to talk about how we break that down. Yeah, I think the stigma around mental illness is rife. Um, In some ways, you know, there's a lot more um, open discussion in the media and social media, um, in schools everywhere about, you know, mental health and getting support and it's a bit more normalised. But the stigma is kind of covert. Um, it's still there. Mm. It's just slightly less obvious, but we hear all the time of, "Oh, um, I don't have, a, I, I don't have a mental illness. Other people have bigger problems than I do. I, mm. I don't really need care." It's like we need to change the discourse around this. We all have mental health. Mm. We all are on that continuum of mental health. We all have mental wellness. Mm. And we need to change this story around who or when we seek support. We need to seek support to be the best version of ourselves. That might be stress management, fine-tuning some things about relationship, whatever it is. It's not about whether you have a diagnosable mental illness. Mm. Um, and even if you do, that it, it doesn't matter. We're all in this continuum together. Mm. We're all in the same boat and it's all about having mental health. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. One of the one of the people that has been helpful for me in reframing some of that is Gus Warland. He has a charity called Gotcha for Life. He's a radio presenter and he did a doco for ABC um called Man Up mm-hmm. and talking about the stigma around men talking about, you know, mental health and he talks 
frequently about mental fitness. Mm. We've got to build the mental fitness and it's a positive framing rather than a deficit one. Mm. Um, Pat, how do you think we can support young people to, to, to normalise conversations around mental health and to not feel like Reese felt where it was, no, that's for somebody else? Mm. I always go back to the, the world, what is it, the World Health Organisation says that, you know, health isn't just the absence of disease, you know, that, that like you're both highlighting that we're on a continuum and it's, a, and it, it's an evolution. And, and so certainly um, framing in that is really important. I, I think like um, Rani was saying that, that you don't necessarily, it's not about specifically identifying a mental health diagnosis or disorder. Sometimes that's useful, sometimes it's not. But it's about trying to get, a, a, you know, a sense of where you're at in terms of your, what we call functioning and, and, and your general well-being. And it's not about comparing and contrasting necessarily. We have criteria and we have scales and they're, they're really useful at some level, but they're also not because it's an individual experience. And I think... The difficulty is that, um, that, like Rani has said, that, that there's more discourse, there's more conversations happening, but I'm not sure that's necessarily resulting, it's not necessarily reflected in a lot of the research saying that it's resulting in more people accessing help or feeling less stigma. So mm. talking about it isn't enough because we can talk about a problem but we're not talking about it very well or we're not describing it very well. A good example, there's the language we use, which is anxiety and depression, which are really useful. Though we call them idioms of distress because we say, if I say to you, I feel anxious, you you know what I mean. I have anxiety, right? Mm. Or I'm depressed. But technically they're not actually, dis- they're not, you either have an anxiety disorder and there's a whole range of them or depression. So it's got real utility because I can say it and you know what I mean, but it also, it doesn't quite describe what what I'm experiencing. and And so more education needs to be done around helping people to describe it. Mm. And then I think when you can describe the problem, you feel a sense of relief um, because a lot of the conversation that was happening with mum was that there was a good word she kept using, denial came up quite a bit, you know, in denial. Of course you would be as a parent or a young person. Um, and there's a really good coping strategy that he used. I'd laugh things off, he said a couple of times. Mm. But it got to a point, I think, what was that great quote? He said, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. He'll cry and he realised that he's he like, was, yeah. Actually, mm. <laughs> there's some real value in that. Um, so I think this, yeah, I mean, there's a whole conver- there's a whole um, you know conversation. We could certainly just talk about the stigma and the aspect of that, but there's certainly, from my perspective, a lot more that needs to be done, and there, there there needs to be a lot more understanding and quality education, not just a conversation about it, but specifics of what it is, how it manifests, and how it affects everybody differently. And then it's, as you said, mm. mental fitness. Yeah. We all have a mind. We all have a brain. Yeah. We're all on a continuum. We're all human beings. The point about learning how to speak about it more uh, more well, I guess, um, you know, was demonstrated by Reese. He did mm. talk about, he, I think he said the phrase, anxiety is the feeling of lockdown, yeah, which was that. a really powerful way of him mm. owning his experience of anxiety and mm. helping helping me to get a window into that. Um Rani, do you have any other thoughts on how do we not just have more conversations around it, but how do we have more fruitful or better conversations around the stigma? Yeah, I think um, sharing stories, normalising um, normal levels of distress mm. and discomfort um, without, you know, yeah, creating more language around that for young people, as Pat was saying, those, you know, idioms of just, I'm, I'm depressed, well, 
sadness. There are other words there um, expressing that being able to express our mm. feelings mm. in a way that's healthy mm. and that being really normalised mm. um, in all domains of life, you know, mm. within the family, within school, within, you know, work. We, we don't have to just be anxious or depressed. Um, uh, you know, there are lots of other ways that we need to learn to describe what's going on for us and also to then, um, yeah, normalise that. Uh, practice of looking after our mental wellness you know if you've got um, a bit of a sore knee you'd go off to the doctor or go to the physio and get a tune-up so why can't we do that for our mental health Mm. Um, that practice needs to be really normalized yeah good stuff Um, okay so thinking about parents and carers who might be listening to this what are some of the um, key points phrases or ideas that we would want to encourage them to continue to reflect on like, um, the, you know, Michelle said in this, listen and take it serious. I really like that idea. She mm. said at key moments she knew when to take it seriously and, and to and to follow up. So I think for parents, certainly that's a really important take-home message. Yeah, there's lots of research around um, patterns repeating, um, stories being passed down through generations of family And it takes a very conscious, intentional effort to change that. And I I really noticed that in um, the story with Michelle and Reese because she said that her mother had tried to um, harm Mm. herself and end her life when she was 10. And I think part of that denial is, you know, going back to her own fears and her past trauma and trying to protect herself from that and not wanting to go into this space again but realising that she she is there and she's Mm. there with her child. So um, just knowing that there's so much research around that that we Mm. patterns repeat. And if you know that there's a pattern in your story, in your family history that has repeated, you are going to need a lot of conscious, intentional effort to change that and to lean into it, be present to get support. And um, it takes a lot of courage to do that. You have to be brave. And I think Michelle definitely was. Mm, That's great. It sort of makes me think that there's listening to the immediate situation, but there's also a listening to to the larger story, the generational story. What do I need to listen to in my past? And my family and yeah. Also, because sometimes we're, like you say, we're not just responding to the, what's happening in front of us. We're actually responding more often than not. And this is what trauma does to, to the past. And yeah. And again, yeah, as you highlighted, both of you, mum was able to acknowledge that and go, okay, it's triggering something in me. But at the same time, I need to be aware of that feeling, not a, let it overwhelm me, not push it away. But then how do I support Reese now mm. and try and break this trend? Yeah. Um, because he's vulnerable. Mm. Um, okay, what about young people that might be listening to this or thinking about this story? What are some of the things that we might want to say that they could, um, yeah, spend some time thinking on, speaking about, um, continuing to look at? Um, I think you know, if you're feeling like you're out of step in life, I think Reese was struggling to find um, his feet after leaving school and there were lots of thoughts and feelings that were going on for him and... Um, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, um, if you're struggling to manage the thoughts and your thoughts and feelings, or in your, you're in a dark place, just know that, you know, the thoughts that come up where you think, I just can't do this, I can't get through it, I can't see a way out, know that you're viewing the world through this lens, um, the emotional filter, and that it's hard for you to remove that. 
So to go to someone that you trust, listen to people that you trust around you um, because they will be able to see the light that you Mm. can't at that moment Um, and to, yeah, to, yeah, reach out and get some support. Good stuff. It's a bit like changing the Instagram filter. (laughs) Young people listening, you know, flick across and get a slightly different perspective. Yeah, Pat, anything else you'd want to highlight for young people? Yeah, just that sense of if you – you're thinking, oh, I don't need to see anyone, but there's there's problems that you're facing. What's the harm in, you know, coming and, and having that assessment engagement and if the feedback you get is keep doing what you're doing, then there's nothing lost. You, you know, there's nothing to lose everything to gain. So if there's any part of you that thinks you might need to connect um, at that early stage or at whatever stage of your mental health and well-being, um, make contact with a service like Headspace. It's, it's, there's no harm that can be done. That's, and so I, I would encourage that if any part of you is thinking, just notice that that hesitation. But try and 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 in other presentations, other interviews, I talked about if you need to bring a support person as well to be able to bounce off. That's the other thing I would encourage. You know, have somebody along with you. In this case, it was mum to to start that journey. Awesome. Well, Pat and Rani, thank you so much for for your time and your insights on Reese and Michelle's story. that is where we're going to leave it for this episode. You can help us help more people by sharing this podcast with someone you think would benefit from it. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating and review which helps other people to find it. Of course, you can share this on whatever social media platforms you use. We Made It To Here is part of the Disaster Resilience Program funded by the Hunter New England and Central Coast Primary Health Network. It has been produced collaboratively by Lead by Story and Headspace Gosford and Lakehaven for a whole range of resources we've created and collated, including videos for young people and those supporting them. You can head to leadbystory.com.au forward slash headspace. Music and sound design for this episode was produced by Josh Corkill with editing by Sienna Corkill. I'm Will Small and I've been your host. We'll catch you on the next episode.